podcast where comedians talk about vulnerability, psychology, and all the stuff that's mushed in the middle of writing and performing stand-up. Today's guest is a painter, a filmmaker, besides being a comic, you could see his film uh, Across the Bar, which was featured in the Garden State Film Festival. He's producer of Ugly Pancake Productions. You're going to be able to see him this week out room in Asbury Park on May 13th. She used to come to bed in like Victoria's Secret lingerie, right? No hair all made up, real sexy. After 10 years, she goes to bed, hair pulled back, no makeup, big sweatshirt, big sweatpants. I feel like we're going to bed with Rocky Balboa's trainer, Mickey. She climbs in the bed and she's like, stay on the outside of the bed, just in the picture, I'll knock out. Welcome to Comedians Exposed, Joey Borzada. Hi, Joey. How are you? I'm trying to be a friend. I'm looking for the uh, Taylor Ham Country. It's a pork roll sandwich. Uh, right? Yeah, are you in Taylor Ham Country or pork roll country? Oh, I'm a Taylor Ham guy. I think. Yeah, I think, but yeah. I think that's more like North Jersey, North right? Jersey yeah. Thing, yeah. We're living. In, we're down in pork roll country, yeah. right? Yes. Well, yeah, welcome to pork country. roll country. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you could come on down. Absolutely. Yeah. Be careful if you decide to get a sandwich later. I think saying Taylor Ham could get you kicked out. I know, I'm in enemy territory. I know. Yeah. Make sure you don't say anything bad about the Eagles either. <laughs> that that'll definitely I can't yeah. I can't be pro Eagles. I'm a Giants guy. I don't know. They might set your car on fire they though. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have, have to move fast. Yeah. And I notice uh Philadelphia fans don't like jokes made about them. Yeah, don't make any jokes about uh Philly fans burning shit down because they will yeah. Comment after your set. One, one of my favorite bits of all time is the Bill Burr, the 12-minute Philly rant. Have you ever heard oh, of this? Oh, no, I have to listen. Good God. You yeah. have to. He was at a show, a big show. It was like all comedians all day, and he went on late in the day. And I guess the people who were paying attention, I think it was Don Marrero went on before me. He was pissed. And he went out there, and he just ranted and tore everything about Philly apart for 12 minutes. It is, it, it's, it, I can't, it's epic. I mean, all right, to. I'll Google that. It's I will epic. definitely Google that because, yes. like I said, uh, I mean, I love Philly. Philly's a great city, but it's a unique city. It's, you know, yeah. it's got its own little mm -hmm. special character. There was a very funny thing I read about how, yeah, this uh, one of the players for an alternate team was, like, booed out of the stadium. She was, like, traumatized by the Philly fans. So, but we don't want to talk too much about Philly because we are going to talk today with you and about comedy and again the whole crux of the podcast is basically like wanting to know why do you do comedy does it make you uncomfortable or are there things you won't joke about why do you joke about the things that you do because mm -hmm. um, I in my opinion doing comedy is a really you know kind of weird space to live in you sure. know leaves Absolutely. you pretty vulnerable especially in today's climate which we're also going to talk about mm -hmm. uh, but first I want to kind of get into your art so you're a painter as yeah. well mm -hmm. So what came first, comedy or painting? Oh, uh, painting. I, yeah. I went to, I went to uh, Rhode Island School of Design for graphic design. And <clears throat> I originally went there for illustration, but the department was like in upheaval at the time. So I went with graphic design. Mm -hmm. And then I worked for about a year, and then I went to School of Visual Arts in Manhattan for illustration. Oh. They had a one-year course, of a uh, graduate course, intensive study. Uh -huh. um, so I compressed two years into one year kind of thing. And it was changed everything. And... Um, I was doing a lot of illustration, and I started to do a little bit more fine art painting. And then, 2008, the illustration with the economic collapse, the illustration market tanked, mm -hmm. and so I started to do a lot more fine art painting, which okay. is more 
illustration, you're getting across a specific message. Yeah. And and fine art, it's like you're doing your own message. Okay. So, and I'm always been fascinated because there's a lot of I, I've spoken about this before on somebody's podcast about the different the similarities between art and stand up. Well, that's kind of what I kind of yeah. want to ask about because especially to like you just said with fine art, like it was your own message. Mm-hmm. So it's like thinking about okay, I'm curious, what was your message when you were doing fine art? Like, what was maybe your initial message, or would you say collectively there's been an overall message you've been trying to deliver with your art? No, it wasn't so much. I was trying. I wasn't like uh, trying to make a statement. You know, it was more like I was just. I just kept painting and what it was excited me at the time um and you know it's like you with with painting with fine art painting i'll just say painting make mm-hmm. it easier you're kind of looking around your environment filtering it through your mind your emotions and experiences and then coming up with your image mm-hmm. and it's the same thing with comedy mm-hmm. you know you're you're absorbing everything around you looking around you're filtering it through your mind your experiences your viewpoint and right. then trying to make it funny and then it's coming out, you know, so it's a very, it's similar in that way. So, okay, so it is similar. So what are the similarities in like, in, in the sense that you're filtering, right? You said emotion, your emotionality is coming out. Mm-hmm. Is there any other similarities between the two in terms of like, especially what I'm curious about, like in producing content, you know, and putting things out in the world. Mm-hmm. I'm not a painter, so I don't have a comparison, but is there for you a comparison of doing fine art and doing comedy and leaving you more uncomfortable of like what you're willing to you know share with the world. Yes and no. Um, I think uh, when you're when you're like you said about content, mm-hmm. you know, with uh, the difference is with with comedy, your whole point is you want to make people laugh. With a painting, you're not so really so much concerned concerned with getting a such a specific reaction. You know, mm-hmm. you may hope that like. I hope this is going to make this image is going to make people think about uh, uh, life or death or, or, or God or something. Mm-hmm. And if they don't necessarily see that, it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's still okay. Yeah. Because people look at art and and they're bringing their own agenda to it, and they're looking at it uh, through their filter. Mm-hmm. So they might not see what you wanted to say, but they might see something else. Mm-hmm. And Unfortunately, one of the things that intimidates a lot of people about art is like, oh, I don't understand that. I don't know how to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did a whole lecture one time about about talking about art. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you can talk about a great meal you had at a restaurant, but you're not a chef. Mm-hmm. But if people will talk about a painting, they feel really intimidated to talk about because they feel embarrassed. Like, well, I just I just really like the color. Color it makes me happy. Yeah. That's that's a legitimate reason to like a painting. Yeah. In my book. Yeah. Um, so right, isn't that the whole point of art in general is to like art is to right create make the human experience more palatable. Not always. Sometimes no? it's to make it yeah. make you very uncomfortable and, and upset. Okay. So, oh, you know, okay, that's true. Yeah. Some people that are like more provocative. provocateurs, you know. What about you? What about your art? Do you feel you're more of a type if we were gonna pick a side, which side would you fall on? Um I've always tried to make a, less of a provocateur. I don't want to be shocking, but mm-hmm. more in the sense of I like to create like a open-ended scenario in, in my work where mm-hmm. um, it's I'm, you're not sure exactly what's going on or what that person is thinking. Yeah. And that's where people bring their own stuff to it, and then they'll come up with their they'll put their experiences and everything onto that image. 
Have you ever had someone come up to you after, you know, sharing one of your paintings and just commenting like, I don't like the way your painting made me feel? <laughs> um, no, not, not so much that. Uh, more like they'll just, I don't, I don't really, I don't really like, it's not my type or, you know, yeah. I, I don't really understand it. You know, you, yeah. get, you get, you'll get that. Most people aren't going to get in your face too much unless you're doing real. Oh no. Oh wait. Okay. okay. Here, here's one. I can tell you <laughs> really early on I had a. I had a show at this uh, this place in Willowbrook Mall. It was, it was a um, public space. It was like a nonprofit space, and they also did art shows. But they also had like uh, groups would meet there. Mm -hmm. And I, I hung my show, and I had some figure drawings in it, some big nude figure drawings. And I went in, and there was a senior citizens group meeting there for lunch, and they had turned my nudes around, and. I was young and full of piss and vinegar, so I got all righteous and pissed, and I went over and I turned him right around, and this, this old man came up to me, and he said, uh, he said, why you got, why you got to paint, put these pictures up here, I don't you yeah. know, make it people. I'm like, well, it's, it's normal, it's natural, there's nothing wrong with the human body, and he goes, um, yeah, but why, one of them, a couple of them was an old model, yeah. an old man, big flabby guy, and this old, old woman was, was one of the drawings. And he's like, well, why, why can't you put somebody youthful and beautiful? Why you gotta put that up there? And and I was all like indignant and everything. And yeah. my my older brother, uh, I was telling him about it, and he said, well, you missed a great opportunity to think about why he was reacting that way. Mm. And I realized why he was reacting that way. These older people, people, because they saw that and they saw themselves in yeah. it. Yeah. And saw himself and his aging body and maybe even death approaching and, mm -hmm. and all this other kind of thing and embarrassed maybe he was uncomfortable the way his body looked yeah and that was like holding up a mirror in a sense yeah so that was my first experience with with getting such a strong you know visceral reaction to an image I created yeah and uh, you know and I and, and a parallel thing in comedy is you always say know your audience and um, I had, I had a, one interesting it was a little similar to that I used to own a gallery in, in Asbury, and I used to run shows there. Mm -hmm. And I had one show um, where I got really dressed up. I had this really nice suit, right? I was hosting that night, and uh, and I was doing this set about jokes about my wife, mm -hmm. which I'd done a million times, always landed, and uh, like I started doing it, and I could feel the audience freezing up, mm -hmm. and people started going. When I hit the punch, like people were going, oh, like. And then I, I didn't realize what was happening, you know. And then I, in retrospect, I realized that uh, if I was just dressed average guy, yeah, making jokes about his wife, that's more understandable. But by having that suit on put me in a more of a position yeah. of power. So now I look like a bully. A, yeah, yeah like a the bully power picking trouble. on my poor wife. Oh, and uh, <laughs> the crowd just froze up. Yeah, and um, that was really interesting. It sucked when I was on stage. No, but, but I, when I realized it, yeah. you make up the good point. Like again, about ob observing, like again, how we are perceived by the audience, mm -hmm. and again, like what we wear, what we look like, like all of that stuff does kind of mm -hmm. play out. I feel like in like what we can joke about, what we can get away with, what we can't get away with, and I also too found it interesting how um you know the parallels that you brought up with art, like that reaction that old man had with seeing those paintings it was a personal trigger and I find like with comedy like 
a lot of times, you know, you'll say something and it'll trigger something. And it's like, I'm fascinated. Like, what is that trigger for you? Mm -hmm. You know, like people will come up to you after a set and like say, I didn't like this joke and right. And you're like, well, why is it resonating so deeply with them that they Mm -hmm. feel, you know, this trigger? Like I feel it's important, I think, for us to recognize our triggers. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's why I think the work of comedians is so important because it's pushing uncomfortable shit to the forefront especially if you're like willing to joke about that. But when you had that experience with wearing the suit and being dressed up, like how soon did you have that recollection of you're like, oh, that it was like that whole power dynamic that was created by your presentation. Pretty much the next day I sorted it out. Yeah. Did that impact how you're going to carry yourself on stage? Yeah, I think I, um, I don't think I wore such a nice suit ever again. Yeah. And especially if I was doing that material. I I think you got to let like be aware of your audience a little bit and and match the material, you know. Like one time, uh, I did. Uh, there was this place I forget the name, but it was out in West Jersey, and I I went there once and it was a much older crowd. Yeah. So the next time I went back, I had this whole bit. I bit about I did about all in the family. Okay. And I was like, it's gonna kill this crowd. And I went back for some reason and was like half the age. Cr- oh no! Crowd. Yes. And I'm doing this all in the family bit, and I'm <laughs> like, like looking and be like. What? Like, who's Archie and Edith? And I'm like... <laughs> I did that. Yeah, my so-called life, I brought that up with these, like, 21-year-olds. And they were just like, what? We, we don't know what that is. And I'm right. like, no! Right. But that, yeah. it's so... But that, I feel like, too, makes part of the vulnerability of doing comedy. Because, like, you're walking in, like... We are, like, all conditioned by our experiences, mm-hmm. right? And, like, especially, too, like, I notice now, like, I'm a certain age. So it's, like, you know, a little longer on the tooth. I have more life experiences. But I'm, like, I grew up in a very different world than a 20-something-year-old. So it's, like, to me, it's, like, you know, our humor. I don't know when our humor is forged. Does our humor evolve over time? Mm-hmm. You know, because, like, it's, like, to me, I think, essentially, humor is rooted in this idea of helping you kind of be okay. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like to make sure that you're able to keep going. And if you can make light of situations, because the shit's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to go through shit. Like there's no if, ends, or buts. Mm-hmm. So the jokes help make the shit palatable. But now it's like, wait a second. It's like you've been conditioned. Like Palatable we, for the audience or for the comic? That's, oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I guess that's really like, because there's two different sides mm-hmm. in terms of doing comedy. You can do comedy in one place, I guess, of being completely selfish as, on your own, right? And be like, I want to do this. I want it, you know? Mm-hmm. And you happen to be the audience because I need you, but I'm not thinking of you. Mm-hmm. Or vice versa, where mm-hmm. you're the comedian saying, I want all of us to be part of this. And I want you guys to have a good time. And you as a comedian might put your personal views or your personal sense of humor to the wayside because of who is the audience in front of you. Mm-hmm. So who do you think you are? Which type of comic? Um, I try to be... We're getting into some deep stuff here now. Because, <laughs> like, um, I think in terms of vulnerability, for me... Yeah. We'll start there. And then vulnerability! Keyword! Yeah, word. word. Uh, for me, it's my age. Because... Mm-hmm. I was very self-conscious because I'm like way older than almost all the comics out there. And when I was first going around and I would see guy, guys my age and older mm-hmm. <clears throat> getting up and doing, my granddaughter came up to me the other day and said, Grandpa, why is And I was like, oh, like I sat there cringing like, yeah. I don't want to hear it. You know, it's so corny. And, and I was amazed at how, I mean, it was their voice, their experience, their, this is what their things, but it was like clueless, like, 
I, I just thought that was clueless. And I didn't want to become, my biggest fear was being that guy. And I told a couple of comics, a couple of people close to me, I'm like, if ever I become that guy, yeah. you have to tell me. You have to tell me, and then full stop, I'm done. I'm, I'm hanging up the mic at that point. I don't want to be that guy, you know? Yeah. I think you can do that kind of comedy as long as you, you kind of make it, broadly or bro more broadly funny so that even like younger people can can kind of dig what you're saying yeah um but i really that was my 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 concern for me mm -hmm. um so i have safeguards in place for that and because i think because i'm an artist i'm i'm much more aware of culturally what's going on mm -hmm. i pay attention to a lot of that i listen to like a lot of music um and i read a lot and i ask a lot of younger people questions certain things that mm -hmm. I, I wanted to was it VJ I, I got a couple of comics and I was like explain Spotify to me mm -hmm. like I don't understand how you guys listen to music like you because when I was growing up you the big thing was to build a cool record collection. I, I know show As off many your albums you get, yeah so people yeah. come through and you'd see them flipping through and you know that they were determining yeah how cool you were and you'd have to hide certain albums right flipping yeah. those those crates every time you move to college and or an apartment bring all those albums and like that idea or and then it became CDs your CD yeah. collection and now it's like this generation is much more non-materialistic yeah and much more cloud based with things and I don't I don't get it mm -hmm. you know um, I think they maybe share Spotify playlists, like, you know, because I like, remember making mixtapes for, yeah. like, your Paramore, like, I made you a mixtape, yeah. and it was like, woo! Now it's probably, I think I made you a playlist. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's, that's you know? the new version of that, but, I mean, I still have my studio, I have my albums, I have CDs, and It was I always, hard getting rid yeah. of that stuff, like, it especially is. the art, like, I always loved the cover art, like, you know, your first album that you got, and it was just like, you know, that was yes. part of it, it was just like... What does the cover look like? You know what I mean? I Pulling out like... the sleeve and reading the lyrics. Yeah. That was all part of it. Because pre on TV, a lot of times you could listen to a musician for 10 years and have no idea what they actually looked like yeah. unless they had photos on their album cover. Yep. And a lot of album covers were illustrations or conceptual and you didn't see them. Yeah. So there's another example of how, how things are just completely different. The whole a rise of MTV. And like, again, like, like for us, like I think we were like part of that. You know, so it's like we can remember the world without that stuff. Like, you know, I feel like, too, like, you know what I mean? How limited there was in channels and stuff like that. And, you know, like, I, I don't think we had my family. We didn't get MTV or cable till I was, like, in my teens and stuff. So I'd have to, like, sneak it at friends' houses. But, you know, just watching certain stuff and how provocative it was then compared to now. Like, I feel like on one level, like we're living in a way more provocative time and then i'm like or is that just me showing my age mm -hmm. you know like with again certain music like i still to this day remember the song do you remember funky cole medina mm -hmm. right and i was like oh it was so scandalous and like no one knew what it was meant but it was like we knew it was something you right. know and it's like as opposed to now like you're hearing you know like cardi b singing yeah, about her wet, wet pussy yeah, yeah. Like, ah! exactly. you know like what is happening so it's just like you know, it's it's odd to me. I always find that odd, like, thinking about, like, especially, too, because it's, like, the, this terminology is thrown around woke culture, right? So it's, like, are we woke? Are we more aware? Like, or is it just people are inundated with more information? Mm -hmm. You know, like, because we had to really, like, you know, think about encyclopedias to do research, you know? Like, now you can Google anything and it's at your fingertips, right. you know? So it's, like, but is that really leading to a true awareness? 
and a greater sense that's a, of... That's a good question because I think the difference is, like when when I was younger, before the internet, pre-internet, if you wanted to find out about something, you had to go like to the library mm -hmm. and look it up and read about it and it stayed with you because <clears throat> you went through that process and I think you retained a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And whereas I think you just whip out your phone and say, oh, and then it's like next. And I don't know, I don't know, and I think we're not going to know for probably 10 or 20 years how much of those experiences are that way of looking at the world and finding out about things yeah. is retained by the brain. I don't know. I You bring up such a good point because I this is my argument. I don't feel like we're doing as much deep thinking as we once did. Mm -hmm. Like I always use the point of like Galileo, right? And how he was able to stare at the sky for hours, years on end, right? Because he had nothing else to do or whatever. And with that became this huge discovery as opposed to now, like, especially with how we're so super divided, like everything is a division, mm -hmm. but it's like, is it because of that people have access to just snippets of information? You know, no one's really doing that deep diving. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how is this impacting, you know, particularly our cultural narrative? in terms of how we're interacting each with each other, or like, again, with people like doing comedy, mm -hmm. you know, like how quickly people will get triggered because of a word and lose the whole essence of a joke, mm -hmm. you know? Cause it's like, to me, I think, is it correlated to this lack of deep analysis? What mm -hmm. do you think? There, there's, a, there's a lot of strings attached to what you just said, <laughs> because uh, as far as like a trigger, let's just say. Yeah. Now I, I have, feelings about that in the sense that I think if you're in a comedy club, anything goes. Okay. All right. I think you should be able to say pretty much anything. Okay. If you're in, and, and I'm going to relate this more to open mic kind of things. If you're in a public space, if you're in a bar or a restaurant or a pizza place that has an open mic that's open, where there are people there that came there to have a beer, grab a slice, didn't come there for the comedy. Yeah. I think when, uh, then I think you got to be a little bit more careful with what you say. Okay. Um, just out of out of just civility, more than anything else. Like I remember, <clears throat> there was a place in Montclair. It was a comic book shop, mm -hmm. and we used to do an open mic oh, there. Oh, I remember, I remember it, it, that place. Yes, right? yes, yes. And I went there, and it was mostly comics, and there were two dads there with their like twelve-year-old kids, a boy and a girl, and separate, and they're going through. And his comic gets up and he's doing this whole bit about blowing a load in his girlfriend's oh, eye. No. And I was just like, <gasps> I was getting so mad. Yeah. And and I was like, as mad as a dad for not getting their kids out of there, I was mad at this comic. And and I was just literally about to say, hey, bro, no, you know, look around you, you know, because yeah. he's making me really uncomfortable too. Yeah. And, uh, um, and then he's finished his set. Okay. And and I was I was so annoyed by that. Um, and I think that that goes into I told you there's a lot of strings here. That goes into narcissism and I think um, self awareness. Yeah. Um, any comic there's a, there's some narcissism there. Because mm -hmm. the minute you think like well what I have to say and what I think is funny, I have to share that and people are gonna dig it and you get up on stage and do it. There's a little bit of narcissism there. Um, some comics are so narcissistic that I think they, they become, they lack any self-awareness. Yeah. And like that guy. Um, and I hate to use the word shame, uh, but I think shame is, is about being self-aware. Because if you're ashamed of something, you're realizing like, hey, what I said or did 
made me look bad or upset these people or hurt these people. Yeah. And I, I feel remorse. I feel shame. When you feel no shame, I think that that that's uh, that means you're completely not self-aware, totally egotistical, egocentric, and I think that that isn't good for for any performer. Mm. Am I going too deep here? No, is I think that... I mean because like some of the things I'm going to challenge you on because I mean, well, one I was curious is that was he a newer comic? No. Oh, okay. Because sometimes I find like too like I feel like. You know, when you see newer comics who are, you know what I mean? They have their bit that they're just wanting to get out. And, like, especially, too, I always find, like, with younger, newer dudes, Mm -hmm. it's a lot of, like, dick jokes or, you know what I mean? So, like, for him, like, I was thinking maybe that was all he had. And he was just like, let me get through this. And he didn't have the capacity yet to be that self-aware of that reflectiveness of, like, oh, wait a second. Maybe this isn't appropriate to do right now in this time and space. Well, that goes, that goes on to, maybe what I just said sounded too much like (laughs) scolding. But I think on a personal (laughs) level, level, sometimes it's just, at our, on my level, I'm like, you know, I'm still... Doing the open mics, trying to get my way. I'm not like a traveling full-time comic and everything. So I have to do the open mics and go through people that have been doing comedy for 10 years as well as people that have been doing it for 10 weeks. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, a lot of times uh, the people are doing it for... T- We've all been there where you sit right. and you're like, why, why is this person even up there? Who yeah. told them that they're funny? How did you possibly... <laughs> how did they possibly look in the mirror and think that that was, that was even remotely like funny? You wrote this? Yeah. yeah. And, and I, you know, like, yes, yeah, it takes time. Yes, you have to, like you said, get it out. you got to find your voice and all this other kind of thing. But from more, like, forget the shame and, and the side of it. Just funny. Yeah. Just dealing, sitting through that sometimes is, it's, it's, a, it's laborious. It's draining. Yeah. And oh, yeah. every comic knows this. I don't think the general, I don't know, I don't know if the general public is aware of it. As we much need to as, let them know. That's why we do this. <laughs> Like how many times? We're telling you, audience. (laughs) I said this to a a buddy of mine. I went to I went to a comp. I went to a a mic, and it was a long mic. And between travel and everything, I was probably there three and a half hours Mm -hmm. to do five minutes. And like eight out of ten of the comics were just horrendous. Yeah, just horrendous. And 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 okay, here here this is this is what I was. You mentioned it before. It's one thing just stuff that's not funny. Yeah. But I think too many of these young comics, like you were talking about, watch all the Netflix stuff, and they see all the people who are established, who are doing, like, the really hardcore, edgy stuff. Yeah. And they think, like, well, if I just say those words, and I say those subjects, that's going to, it's going to make me on their level, or get, propel me towards that level. And they come out, and they're crass and vulgar and crude, but not creative. No. Be crass or crude or vulgar, but... Dude, like, try and be creative right, with right, it. Right, right, right. I think about, like, um, when I watched Chris Rock's special recently, how he had the most perfectly written abortion joke I've ever heard. It mm-hmm. was, uh, if you have to pay for your own abortion, you have to get an abortion. And it was, like, it was like, of course, it's very provocative. I always notice that abortion jokes make people's buttholes super-duper tight. Mm-hmm. But I think that kind of goes to the crux of what you were saying, like, you're gonna do it, but you gotta get the words, the cadence. It's gotta be perfect, you know. And yeah. I think that's again, new comics want the provocativeness without putting the time and effort of the writing in. Right. Like it's not just like you're gonna go up there and just ramble. It's gotta be so tight and so concise mm-hmm. and just so perfectly written. So it's like there is no wiggle room for that mm-hmm. joke to like not work. Or just just 
creative, you know, like, yeah. like uh, for two examples come to mind is like whenever I feel female comics get like, so I put this up my vagina and it's like, mm. it's like Lisa Lampanelli did every one of those. If you can't come up some something at least as creative or different than that, or, yeah. you know, black guys do like white people, you know, can't dance and all this kind of stuff. It's like, uh, yeah. Okay. Heard that 10, 10 million times. times right. But, but I heard an interesting, uh, story about this. My friend's brother, out in Long Island had a family party and hired a comic. Okay. To do like a little family in the living room type kind of set, right? Okay. So I think I just started doing it and my buddy goes up to him and says, My friend just started doing this. Can he call you sometime? And the guy's like, Yeah, gave him gave me his number. So I shot him an email, we emailed back and forth and I called him one time. <clears throat> we were talking and he was great. He was such a he was a working comic. Um, you don't know his name. I don't even remember his name to be honest with you. Yeah. Um <clears throat> but he made he made a living at it, doing uh, trade events, pr uh, parties, you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah. And he said to me, he goes, here's this thing that most people don't get. He goes, you go to, too many people go to open mics and you start writing for the other comics there to get, to shock them, to get a rise. Yeah. And he said, if you want to make money, if you want to make a living, he goes, you have to do clean. You have to, be, you have to be clean. Yeah. Otherwise, you're not going to get, you're going to lose churches, civic organizations, blah, 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 blah. And he said, now take Louis C.K. and Jim Norton. He said, their, their first couple of years, they were doing, you know, well, oh, my wife, my girlfriend joke. Yeah. Because it wasn't till later on where they found their voice, where they, they earned the right, this is what he said, they earned the right to be dirty. Yeah. And they found their voice, they're doing dirty material, but it was their voice, their spin, it was creative. Mm -hmm. and I'm sure Jim Norton was dirty from the beginning, because that's just part of who he is. Yeah. But Jim Norton wasn't Jim Norton in the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, uh, yeah, I think you, you have to take that, go through that process. Yeah. But I also think you also have to be a little bit self-aware and aware of what you're saying and, and see if it's... Self-awareness. Self-awareness is tough, though. And it's funny because you also brought up that the word narcissism. And I feel like that, too, especially as everybody, you know, nowadays you're hearing that thrown around a lot. Like, like I don't know if we're living in a more narcissistic time, um, you know. But, like, again, that fine balance of having that narcissism but also that self-awareness. So was that something do you think that you had, because again, you were a painter, so when you entered the realm of comedy, do you think that you, was something you very much had with you when you started, or do you think that was something you had to learn along the way? A, a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. um, I think I was trying to be, you know, through painting and my age, I think I was more aware of, uh, I, did, I did comedy because it was a bucket list thing. Okay. I had a real major surgery and I made a little rough mental list of things I wanted to do before yeah. I picked the bucket. And that was one of them. Okay. And uh, I had always been, you know, my brother was on stage, my sister was a dancer, you know, there was a ham streak in my family. And when I was a little kid, I always liked to do stuff. I remember when I was four, I used to do um, an impression of John Wayne, Jack Benny, and Louis Armstrong. And I remember being like four years old. I remember that feeling that it got, it got a big kick out of people, got a kick out of it. Yeah. And I always kind of liked performing in this kind of thing and making jokes and making people laugh. And, um, through later on, I was in band in, in school. Mm -hmm. And so I was doing that throughout high school. So I was constantly performing. And so that kind of scratched that itch a little bit. 
And uh, I was only student films in, in college, a number of them. And uh, with the, um, I'm trying to remember, was it before or after this, the surgery? I, when I had this bucket list thing, I wanted to be in a couple of films and a couple of movies where you could see me so I could show my grandchildren and say, hey, look, this was when I was cool. <laughs> you know? And uh, and that was fun. I had a couple cool things. I was on 30 Rock and oh, uh, did wow. some, some, some neat stuff. And cool. one of them was the stand-up. Okay. And I thought it was going to be one and done. Um, and, uh, oh, so when I was a kid, to go back to when I was a kid, you're saying, like, I remember in second grade, I said to two buddies of mine on the playground, I can see it as clearly as yesterday, I said to them, I said, I think I want to be a comedian. And they cracked up because nowadays everybody knows at least half a dozen people are doing stand-up, right? Back then, it wasn't like a thing. It was like a, a comedian was somebody you saw on TV in a, in a tux <clears throat> that did nightclubs and yeah. variety shows in Carson. Yeah. And it was just this distant thing, you know? And uh, and I was so mortified. Like I never said, I never told anybody about that again. And but I always really loved comedy and telling jokes. Yeah. I, I used to like to tell jokes um, around family and friends and stuff. Especially like the, the you know guy walks into a bar. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of those jokes I can't tell today because I like uh, accents and voices. And a lot of those are kind of <laughs> too racist. But I still think they're they're funny. That's a, that's a whole other subject. But, um, so I did this one, one and done yeah. thing. And then a couple of months later, and I'm sure there's a lot of comics go through this. I was like thinking about it. I was like, you know, I think I could have written that a little bit better. Yeah. I think that could have been a little funnier. Maybe I'll, let me rewrite it and try it one more time. Yeah. And, uh, and there you go. I don't know if that was your question. Oh my, no, it, so what else was on, I'm just curious, what else was on just other things on your bucket list? Like just for comparative, uh, you know, um, if you it, little things like I wanted to, I hadn't ridden a horse since I was a little kid. Okay. Okay. I, want, I wanted to ride a horse. Yeah. Um, uh, I want to have a kid. <laughs> There's yeah. a bigger one that's on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. I'd like to go to Japan someday. Okay. Um, stand up. You know, just yeah. um, bunch of little things. Okay. Uh, I didn't know if there was like other like big things because like for me like my comedy it was like kind of similar. Like I wanted to always try it, but I didn't. Like I was older when I started. I was in my thirties, and. You know, I always wanted to do it, but it was also like one of these things, like for me, it was kind of like a bucket list thing. Like, mm-hmm. okay, and I was more like, I want to get rid of fear. You know what I mean? Like, I have this terrible phobia of like, you know, people looking at me in public speaking and, you know, being judged about my body. And so it was like, that was like, I need to release this. There's no purpose in me carrying this energy. So like the next fear I want to tackle is heights, you know, but I haven't worked out the courage to do something like. <laughs> Where was your first? Do you remember your first? So I, yeah, my first, I did, no, oh, I was such a, such a nerd. Um, I took multiple comedy classes and even then, um, I was like, I did the graduation shows, but those were like, again, you had been with the same group of mm. people and I didn't do any open mics the entire time I was in the comedy classes. Cause it was like, that was so much more intimidating. Mm-hmm. So I remember finally after, like I said, the second comedy class, a couple of years had gone past and I was like, I guess like maybe 37 at that point. And I'm like, I'm going to do this now. And I just went to, and I went to a city lounge mm-hmm. in uh, Lyndhurst, you know, and that was, 
it was so fun and I just was like okay but I remember being so nervous and like my hand shaking and that was like my first year of doing open mics was just like I don't know what the hell I said it was just like okay can I get up here and stand on stage and not pee my pants like that was like my threshold so you know and I it's like I, I try to like again like okay but and now like I feel like I've got some years and like I've gotten a little bit more comfortable so now I feel like it's like the real work you know to be mm-hmm. done with the writing mm-hmm. you know talking about stuff you know because again you kind of brought up like how certain things um aren't joked about anymore like as a fact I just read an article about these 20 movies that couldn't be made today and one of them was like airplane you know mm-hmm. and I'm like Airplane, you know, again, and Mel Brooks' Blazing Saddles. Those were two of the movies on the list, which, again, I'm like, I think of as, like, basic, like, you know, I, like, iconic movies in, like, the comedy world. And, like, they, the whole article was like, no, they can't be made today. Because, again, like, this whole shift in, you know, what is socially acceptable. Mm-hmm. So it was like, you know, we, like you said, you, how do you find that space of, like, where you kind of, like, know what you found funny growing up Mm -hmm. and like what you would do personally and now crossing over into a new world of doing comedy in today's climate sometimes it's it's tricky sometimes i have to be aware like oh is this sounding a little but i think i'm i'm i've lived long enough that i've seen a lot of societal changes like they have this arc you know like it starts to happen there's a ground swell the press jumps on it and everybody gets on in it either shoots itself in the foot and it fades out and yeah. it fades away and, and hopefully it leaves behind some positive changes you know yeah black lives matter blue lives matter all lives matter they all have something relevant in them yeah. and but it gets all conflated and blown out of proportion and you hope like in a couple of years like after all the everything dies down that the positive points of that or me yeah. too same thing you know mm-hmm. i hope i think uh, me too you know leaves by their the the uh Leave behinds are like knocking down p- people like Harvey Weinstein and not getting it, you know, conflating it with wearing the, the pink little pussycat hat. Oh my gosh, I know. Like and horrendous. Like, really? That's I a, know. Yeah, we like, could do, why like does everything have to be kitsch, material. right? Yeah. I, I know. I made a, a lot of Me Too jokes, and then part of me like was like questioning, like, am I not a good feminist? But I'm like, no, there's stupid shit that yeah. is going on. Like, sometimes, and I feel like it goes back to like the whole thing we're like kind of brought up before about like these people aren't deep thinking and like Mm -hmm. multiple things can be true about situations you know what i mean like i feel like it's like very dangerous to take just like a position and run with it and Mm -hmm. be like this is how it is it's like well no there's complexity in certain things and like like harvey weinstein obviously he was disgusting but what about all those people that enabled that for years and years and years and years and years you know what I mean? Like, it's easy to be like, okay, it's just Harvey Weinstein, but it's like, no, 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 no. There's, like, much more greater cultural um, factors that are playing out into why he was able to get away with that shit. And it's not just because he was a pervert, okay? There's other mm-hmm. things like... Power. No, right, no, 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 no. power in, t- in terms of uh, identity, gender identity, mm-hmm. like, especially, too, like, thinking about, like, womanhood and, you know, they, like, all of these factors have to be considered so it's just like to make things into like these movements like i understand there's the crux of it but it's like to just i feel like if you're on a movement and you just ride it as a train and once the yeah. train leaves the station you're like wait a second you know you're you're forgetting some things and yeah, i think with those movies there's a period like i said where everybody's very hypersensitive about it because yeah. the wound everything's ripped open so everybody's very sensitive about it and then you know kind of has its day and moves on yeah um and like i said i hope it leaves behind some positive things as a result of that 
I think sometimes nowadays it's almost gone. People are too touchy and too sensitive. Like my wife's very PC, right? And mm -hmm. I was I was I was doing a bit. I was writing about her about about uh, Chinese takeout places. Mm -hmm. And I did an imitation of an old Chinese woman with the heavy accent take my order kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And she was like, "Oh, I, you know, that's that's racist." And I wrestle with it because yeah, I'm aware of how someday, nowadays, some people might find that racist. Mm -hmm. But I also grew up where that was just like, not considered racist at all, doing an impression of somebody's accent. I grew up around lots of accents, Italian, you know, and uh, so I'm like, well, is it racist? But I'm like, so what, old women from China don't speak with an accent? Are we yeah. supposed to pretend that they don't have an accent? Yeah. And, and and sometimes with the language, sometimes there is funny things like that. Like, like my, my Italian grandmother, from Italy, you know, when I was a kid, she would be eating a bag of peanuts, and she was like, Joe, you want some penis? And I was like, no, thanks, I already have one, and she's like, what, what, oh, what do you say that for, you know, what's the matter for you, you know, and, uh, but that's, I was teasing her, Yeah. and, and it was, days might feel like, oh, you're picking on her, you're making fun of her, yeah. but it was just like, I, it was, I don't think, I don't find that offensive or no. racist or anything, and I think you can still do stuff like that, Yeah. Um, I think everybody now is a little, too guarded, a little too sensitive, and yeah. I think, I think eventually that's gonna calm down a little bit. Right. I know uh, for myself, I'm definitely guarded with a lot of things. Like I know I do I do write a lot about what's going on, like with like the um, society. But there's certain things like race is make any jokes dealing with like any kind of like situations evolving with race. Like right now, I have a joke I'm trying to work on and. I was like at a show and a woman comes up to me. I happen to be the only white person in the venue and I did my set and somebody comes up to me after the show and she grabs me and she's like, you're not afraid of black people. And it was just like, it was such an odd experience. <laughs> I was like, but I have not found the punch yet for that joke. Cause I'm like, I feel like the whole situation was just so funny to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but it's like, I've tried different punches and it's like, I'm still, I'm not confident yet. And something I get really worried about, like mm -hmm. particularly as a white woman, you know, I feel like, you know, our opinions, like right now we should kind of be, we should be more listening. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I'm trying to find a space where I feel comfortable talking about certain things mm -hmm. while also still being respectful of the climate, but it's hard. So I kind of shy yeah. away from that. But what about you? Is there stuff that you shy away from? Well, there. Uh, I just recently, like about two weeks ago, there was a comic that was coming to our open, our ugly pancake mics and stuff like that, and he was doing 9/11 jokes, mm -hmm. and really touched a nerve with me, and uh, and I sat on it for weeks and weeks, like I don't know how to say something I wanted to say. He's young, and I thought maybe you know, so I I, I sat on it, I sat on it, and I thought about it, and I went up to him, I said, can I talk to you for a second? I said, um. I said, you know the 9-11 the jokes you're doing? I said, how old were you when that happened? And he was like four or five. Oh. I said, well, I was. I lived in Hoboken. I said, I was right there. We lost 52 people from my town. I know people whose husbands left and never came home that day. Mm. And I smelled that for months because I lived right there. Mm -hmm. I said, I was on the board for the 9-11 uh, memorial in Hoboken, we did focus groups, spent like 10 years working on his thing, and I said, uh, I said, I, I just don't think, I said, you know, you're up here to make people laugh, right, mm -hmm. I said, and if there's other, I'm sure there's other people in the audience that have, have similar experience to me, but probably even worse, 
lost somebody there. And I said, maybe you need to think about that. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, for me personally, I said, I don't, I don't want to edit you. I don't want to tell you how to, how to do your set or what you're thinking. I said, but I just want to, I wanted to share this with you. And yeah. I said, don't, I hope you're not angry with me. And he's like, no, no, I never really, I, I didn't really look at it that way. Yeah. And then I said, cause after all, I said, you're up here to make people laugh and you want to get gigs and you want to get things like that. I said, that might not be, yeah. that might be an impediment to both those things. And I just want to throw it out. And he was totally cool about yeah. it. And I felt bad, like, I, you know, one friend of mine whose husband, you know, he left for work that morning, never came back, never yeah. saw his body, nothing. And when she heard about this, I, I had something on Facebook, I said, like, about people making 9-11 jokes. And she was, she was crying. She wrote, she wrote this note, she said, I've been crying for, I can't believe people are making jokes about that. Yeah. How could you, I'm sorry if we're getting too, <laughs> no, it's okay. too heavy here. Yeah, but, no, no. Um, so, yeah, I think for me, like, there's certain things I don't think, like I said, I think anything goes, especially yeah. in a comedy room. But I think maybe there are some times where you got to, like, and again, that gets back to self-awareness about your material. Think about what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And unless you have, I, I, I personally, I don't think you should do 9-11 jokes. Yeah. But unless you do, make it so creative and so killer yeah. that, like, you, you know what I mean? But it sounds like he was one of those comics that was picking a topic that is very provocative just to, again, like that I know I'm going to elicit this type of reaction. Because, I mean, you know, on the flip side, too, you also think like comedy, right, can work with time plus space. Mm -hmm. And especially like I feel like comedy can be a really great way. And I've heard this from other comedians of like processing traumas, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's like, you know, this guy, though, it didn't sound like that was his experience. Like he doesn't I am assuming doesn't carry anything like you carry, like you have a very direct personal experience to 9-11. He was, again, like this four-year-old child, which is a very different experience. Because now it's, it's almost like, you know, this collective narrative of like what Pearl Harbor kind of has mm-hmm. become of this like concept mm-hmm. of like, oh, this national disaster. But, you know, he didn't really have that direct connection to it. So it's like, well, what are you working through? You know, you're not, were you That's traumatized by this event? Really you know, point, yeah. yeah. So, because it's like, I do want to give people space to, because mm-hmm. I do think like, you know, it's almost like, what, what is it, a cognitive behavioral therapy, how the more you talk about something, you know, essentially, it's like reclaiming mm-hmm. your ownership. And like, I know, like, again, for me, like as a woman, like I do that a lot with, especially like, because women, you know, we're stereotyped a lot into like identity, like I'm not a mom. So it's like, I get a lot of flack for mm-hmm. not being a parent. And it's like, I like to kind of use that in my comedy. Of like this, like this social conditioning of like, wait a second, you're not a mom. Mm-hmm. How are you a woman? You know, mm-hmm. oh my. So it's like, but again, this guy doesn't sound like he just picked these topics of right. like, you know, oh, this is gonna make people's buttholes tight. So let me do this, right. and then I'll shock them with the the killer punchline, and yeah. killer punchline never comes, and everyone just left uncomfortable. We were talking about that earlier. I think like there's a lot of a lot of like narcissism and all those kinds of but there's a lot of people in comedy who are really messed up people have a lot of issues yeah and um there's a lot a lot of people with addictions in in comedy there's a lot of people that are just you know incels a lot of people that are just felt uh, marginalized have you know a lot of things yeah and for them i think it's good because it's it's it gives them a social life which yeah. I don't know if they would have otherwise. Huh? And and I think, like you said, too, like I know for me, a lot of times I'll joke about things, and then I'll be like, oh, that's 
that's something that really does kind of bother me, mm -hmm. you know, about my age or whatever, or yeah. about my, my, my marriage or, or, or different things. And, uh, and it is a way of kind of like, and it's it's almost like going to a shrink, you know, like because you're thinking about it. Yeah. If you're writing about forces, you a lot of times people don't think about right. these things that are bothering them, and they fester and they become psychopath. And <laughs> but in a way, so I think that's a sort of a healthy thing. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, see, there's there's all these grades. Everything know? is gray yeah, though. Like, yeah. Like I, I remember I went to one mic, and um, it was a long mic, and I don't know what it was with this night, but every I honestly say that 90% of the comics there at night were either had just got out of rehab or some kind of addiction or were talking about really crazy stuff and yeah. bad stuff and unfunny stuff like, you know, my father, well, my father was uh, used to beat me a lot, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and then a lot of stuff was crass and vulgar and everything. And I remember driving home like, wow, for the last three and a half hours, you know, I could have been... I work on a painting or playing with my son or reading a good book and then I was this and that that saying um, sometimes when you lie down with dogs you get up with fleas and I got and not to sound condescending but I thought like am I getting so numb to this stuff and listening to this stuff that it's is it starting to affect my sensibilities mm -hmm. and I really question that and I still do yeah. sometimes um, that's that's the hard part I think when you're when you're a touring comic, when you're successful, and you're making a living at mm -hmm. it. The comics, yeah, they're still messed up like anybody, but they have their their shit together a little. They bit have more. enough to show up and yeah. do a job, you right. know, like right. which and takes when a certain when level. When you're at our level or my level, I don't want to say, you know, like when you're doing a lot of mics, it's still kind of working your way up. And with yeah. these people, like I said, some ten weeks, some ten years, you have to go through that, and you're you're in, in, you know immersed in that. Mm -hmm kind of thing and sometimes it's that for me is like my hardest the hardest part for me yeah um about stand-up is is going through that and sitting through those mics you're just like oh i used to feel like you want to take a shower afterwards yeah. you know sometimes i find myself getting really rageful and like i'll listen especially to like because it is super male dominated and you mm. do have a lot of like these comics who are trying to be provocative and they're saying these horrendous things and like I'll find myself sitting there and getting rageful and then just going up and instead of doing my time I rage at them on the mic and I'm like Rah! you know and it's like but then I get pissed because then I'm like fuck I just wasted the time I needed to work on something on these dick cards I was listening to one of your podcasts and you were talking about bombing and not bombing and that kind of thing yeah and I don't, you know, nobody wants to bomb. And the first time, you, a couple times you bomb, it's like, oh, what the, what the hell am I doing this for? Jesus Christ. You puke a few times. Masochist. I remember the first time I bombed, I went home and I went straight to the liquor cabinet. I was like, well, honey, I bombed big tonight. I'm getting drunk. I was like, I think for, for me, what makes me feel worse after a set where I kind of, uh, it's not that I don't want to talk to you, but I, I don't mind if, if I crush, great. Yeah. If I bomb, I'm okay with it now. Yeah. Because you could do the same set on Wednesday and kill, and do the same set Thursday and bomb. Yeah. What gets me upset is tepid. Oh. Like, if I'm going through my set, you yeah. know, we, we all hand record it, right? And if I'm jotting down, taking notes, I'll give jokes like a one, two, or three. Okay. Three is like a good sustained laugh, two is like a medium laugh, and one is like a chuckle. Yeah. And there's a dash is nothing. Okay. Right? So if I go through, do a set where it's all like ones, mm -hmm. 
where it just gets like the whole all the jokes get like <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know I feel worse getting off stage with that and I feel needier after that <laughs> than if I bomb like yeah. I bomb like ah oh, I ate a bag of dicks tonight yeah, yeah. yeah that sucked you know everybody's pretty much like that but when I get that like tepid response then the voice starts you're not funny in your head why are you doing this nobody you know you didn't get any big laughs and then you, I almost feel like I want somebody to come up to come up and say like you help console me <laughs> console me you know but I don't know do you feel like that like I guess that that tepid uh the middle bomb. of the road yeah no I think I know what you're saying like again because the bomb is so clear mm -hmm. at least the bomb you could you know it's very clear like okay they didn't like me and then you know you could say they're not my audience but the tepid it was like really mm -hmm. like you you wet noodles you know you just yeah. want to be like what's wrong with you you know yeah. but i mean it is also i think a big part of the experience like you got to go up there and you got to realize like sometimes you're going to get likes mm -hmm. sometimes you're not going to be liked like mm -hmm. even doing this podcast like this whole podcast has been like a super vulnerable experience because again there's something very narcissistic about like putting content out in the world being sure. like you guys want to listen to what i think and have to say you know but it's like you know to get over that because there's other things of why you do yeah. it like same with comedy like it's not just about like you know being the center of attention it's like again if you want to do something it's bringing joy to the world it's maybe talking about contemporary social issues it's helping potentially change opinions it's helping people feel safe or comfortable mm -hmm. you know um or it just allows you to be a fucking idiot you know like i love that like that's where i'm trying to like move towards is more of the absurd and more of like the weird and just mm -hmm. going up and because there's something really fun about being a middle-aged woman and people like looking like what is wrong with her you know yeah. like it's fun like because life i don't think there's ever a thing as having too much fun in life i don't think that mm -hmm. can happen i mean i guess maybe you can have too much fun and you know well I, it's it's interesting too if you were saying that like uh we we're like louis anderson when i first uh started doing stand-up i watched his advice thing he was doing mm -hmm. and he was like saying you gotta do at least a hundred get up there a hundred times before you start to find your voice yeah and i was like oh that's that's doable that's a good you know and that was like a benchmark for yeah me. and then i think it's finding your voice it, there's a lo lot of parts of that mm -hmm. like you were saying about going up there and being crazy like there's a lot of times where i thought i was being loud and, and, and really emoting on stage and i listened to my like i thought i was here but i was actually here, here. yeah mm -hmm. and i've always really worked towards that and i, I think i've just in the past like maybe even six months getting to the point now where i'm having that you know, like I looked at, I, I, I watch a lot of old comedy. I have that page, Comedy History and Bits, on Facebook. Oh, okay. You know, put, I put up a lot of clips from old comics. Yeah. I think it's important to, to look at them. Mm -hmm. And if you look at a lot of those 60s, 70s comics, you know, like, you know, Alan King and, and all those Borscht Belt type guys, if you listen to them, they, they yell a lot. There's a lot of parts where they're yelling, but it's funny. Mm -hmm. And... So they have that difference. There, there's that roller coaster of you're taking them on this ride with you, and when yeah. you when you really want to hit something, a boom, and it comes across more. Um, excuse me. And I've been finally doing that, and and uh, and it was just like like I did one show, and I I really did that. I really made a point going in. It was stuff I'd done a bunch of times. I knew it cold, and I'm like, now I'm gonna really 
emphasize certain parts of it. And, and Angela, when I came off on stage, was like, well, I never saw you, you crush like that before. Yeah. And I knew it was because of that, because I took the audience. On it was ride. more, less of a, you know, and more like this. Yeah. So, like you're saying about, you just said about, like, going out there and having fun and getting crazy and everything. Yeah. And I think that just comes with, with time. Time, right. Yeah, I mean, Jim, I'm sure Jim Carrey wasn't like that his first time on a couple, his first year or two on stage, no. you know. Yeah, I think, again, it takes time. And that's just like, but that's what the beauty of comedy is. It's like you, as long as you have, the, you're willing to put the time in, you know, like, I feel like you'll get better regardless. Like, mm -hmm. even if, like, again, you're, like, the end game is everybody's individual definition. But I think if you're willing to do the work and try, like, comedy will improve. You will have more fun as yeah. you get better, so. I mean, for me personally, it's like, this is not my uh, my career. This is not my dream to be. I have a Netflix special, and I want to get out there and tour. I don't want to tour. <laughs> I don't want to go on the road and all this kind of stuff. But like I just wanna, I'm having fun with it. Yeah. And I'm like, I know there's gonna be a point where I'm not like, oh, I don't really. And I, I really like the business side, like promoting, like yeah. the ugly pancake. I really like that. And sometimes, yeah. the the doing the shows and the slog of it, and you have to do the mics to stay sharp and try new material. Sometimes that gets it's a grind. old and, and exhausting. Yeah. And um, so I'm much. I don't feel that pressure that I think a lot of younger comics feel. Of, like, am I on this trip? Am I am I going? Am I building to? Mm -hmm where I'm going to have my breakthrough, you know, and, yeah. and go, the sky's the limit. Right. That's not, that's not an issue for me. So that takes a lot of pressure off me personally. Yeah. And I think that's a nice, healthy space to be in with comedy. But do, do me a favor, uh, let our audience friends, again, Joey, let them know where they can find you on social media. And also do me a favor and let them know where they can ride the Joey Brazada comedy experience. <laughs> All right, you two shows coming up. We got the two shows coming up at, uh, um, uh, Battle River Brewing, which is going to be the the Jersey guys. It's four four guys mm -hmm. from Jersey Comics, different different viewpoints of, of life in the world. And we're going to try that out. We got a show at the showroom in Asbury Park on uh, May thirteenth, um, and you can find my artworks at uh, josephborzada.com. I'm on Facebook, Joseph Borzada and Borzada Arts, which is more another page I have on Facebook. Where I'm trying to transition more to my all my art stuff on there. And on Instagram, it's uh, Borzada underscore arts. Okay. And that's a lot of... And then we also have Ugly Pancake Comedy on, on Instagram, too. Oh, wonderful. And uh, this was cool. Like, I, 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 I did a bunch of... I was hesitant, honestly, to come on. Oh. Because I, I had done a bunch of podcasts a while back, and I was like, I didn't want to really do them anymore, because yeah. I it's, it's kind of self-indulgent. Who, who am I? to <laughs> sit through an hour of me yapping away. But I like the, the angle you had with this about okay. the, uh, getting into... Talking about all the stuff we talked about. Yeah. Because comics don't talk about this stuff. And I, like, I know. I, it's probably you know? like beating a dead horse. Like I'm sure a bunch of comics are like, ew, gross. You're like pulling the mask away from mm -hmm. behind. But I love it. And like I said, it's like I don't have like, again, this end game either. I'm along for the ride of just doing comedy and learning. And like I said, I love the fact that people will engage with me in these conversations. So it was so great that you yeah, could be here fun. today, Joey. Thank you yeah, so yeah. much. Yay! It's adoring people. <laughs> No, we're fun. We're fun, crazy, middle-aged folks.